Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 176 of a Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to host Dr. Andreas Nares, Managing Director, Co-CEO, and CTO of Bosch.io, a global interdisciplinary expert organization driving Bosch's IoT and AIoT strategy. Andreas has held various leadership positions in the field of software architecture and development and acted as the head of multiple research groups. He's a recognized software architect and one of the experts in the field of cloud and serverless computing, as well as AI, ML, and IoT. He has studied computer science and law and holds a PhD in the former. He joined Bosch Corporate Research in 2019 and went on to be Vice President, Head of IoT Platform, responsible for the development of Bosch's IoT suite, which forms the basis on which Bosch and its customer build IoT solutions, incorporating Bosch's cross-domain industry know-how and connecting millions of sensors and devices. Andreas, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Good afternoon, Ken, and thanks a lot for having me today. Really looking forward to our chat. I am as well. You know, it's been interesting because we've had a chance to interview some of your colleagues and all of it tells a very positive story for the transformation that Bosch itself is undertaking. You could, one might call it digital, but arguably Bosch has always been digital. And so I particularly look forward to this conversation because in some sense, we're interviewing the thought leader behind the thought leaders in essence. And so Let's start a little bit to talk about your own digital thread. In other words, the one or more thematic threads that define your digital industry journey. What would you consider to be those digital threads? Oh, good question. So maybe we go a little bit back in history to get a better understanding of who I am and what I've been doing so far. My digital journey actually started when I was six and that time my dad bought, and I still find this an interesting story because Years after, I realized how much impact that had on my future, actually. So that time, my dad bought a Commodore 64, a C64, if you still remember what this is. And probably this was the best present I've ever gotten. And even so, at that time, I did not know how much this will influence the rest of my life. And I could hardly read and write when I got this machine, and, but still started to typewrite program code that has been printed in paper magazines just to see what's going to happen. And then I started to code in BASIC on a machine with 64 kilobytes of memory. And at a time, you had to enumerate your coding lines and leave space in between in case you want to adapt and stuff like that. I saved my programs to tape and this is one of the stories I still like very much. I did my very first download by recording program code broadcasted by a Dutch radio station in the middle of the night. From today's point of view, and talking about downloads, a totally crazy story. But this is how it all started. And I had been fascinated by technology at a very early age. That's what I want to say. And it just continued like that. So then, then having been a teenager, I got a 386. I assembled my own hardware. I started coding different languages, Pascal, Delvisi, whatsoever. And the fascination remained. 
And then with 17, I founded my first little IT startup, which offered, well, IT consulting and application programming services. Quite successful, actually. And then as the fascination never decreased, I studied computer science, did my PhD in computer science, started working for different US software companies. You already mentioned that for the longest time for IBM, and today I'm Chris Bosch. And yeah, for most of the time, I stayed at the software side of things, working in all the fields you already touched on, web and mobile technologies, cloud, and more particular serverless computing, and so forth. And my, I think my key learnings out of that is Technology is super fascinating, but it's also kind of exhausting because things do change so quickly and never stand still. And I'm really thankful for having been able or allowed to see all these developments I've just talked about. I think that helps me to have a deeper understanding of what is happening behind the scenes. And sometimes being a tech can even be seen due to the fact that things are changing so quickly as a kind of resiliency training. Because things can become also very complex, very complicated, and requiring you to show persistence to get something to work the way you want it to work. And if you want to survive in this tech world, that's my learning, you always have to stay curious and be willing to learn because otherwise you will very quickly lose track. And that's, by the way, that's, for example, why I'm still coding. I mean, I'm the co-CEO and CTO of this company, but at the weekend, you find me coding. That's usually when... Other people tell me, don't you want to go out today? It's, the sun is shining. And sometimes they say, no, I'm coding today. So all I'm just saying is not only true for the technology side of things. I think the same way technology has changed, also the organizational structures that I've seen over the last couple of years, the working methods, all these things continuously evolve, change. And that makes things even more fascinating, but also more exhausting, forcing you even more to learn about how to lead people, how to deal with customers, and not only technology. And for me, it's like, once I know how things work, then it's usually time to move on. And I think this is how it all started and why I'm where I am today. So first of all, six years old, I think we can qualify you as a digital native at that point. <laughs> so you certainly <laughs> are dating yourself. Age 17, did your first startup in IT. That's probably about the youngest I think I've had among just about anybody I've interviewed. So uh, truly have a digital journey, if you will. What I think is fascinating is this idea about resiliency, because you've been at the critical vent of not only an IT research, but law and commercial leadership. And it's interesting, if you think IT is exhausting, imagine trying to create the societal rules around the impact of that technology, right? So it's almost like you know, one circle begins another, which begins another. And so I'm curious, what attracted you to this particular Venn between these three? And what are some of the key insights you've seen during your almost two decades of leading such work? That's a good question. And <laughs> probably not very surprising, I'm asked that very often. So people ask me, okay, why have you studied law? Why have you studied computer science? Why have you studied both? And now you moved on from the technology side of things to the management side of things. Why the hell have you been doing that? And I think it all has to do with this, what I just said, move on once you know how things work. I'm a very, very curious person. That's, that's what I want to say. I'm fascinated by technology, but I never want to stick to one particular field. This means I'm always up for exploring something new. And once I know how it works, it gets kind of boring and I need to move on. And whenever starting something new, I always look for the purpose of what I'm doing and want to make sure that what I work has some, has some positive impact, especially for customers and so forth. And 
if you consider that, I mean, where else do you find more options to explore and work on new IT technologies than in a big IT company like IBM? And that's why I joined them first and stayed with them for so many years. And I learned so much, so much new things. And I'm still super thankful for all of that. I was allowed to work with super smart people and to be part of great projects. For example, the allowed to drive the development of a serverless compute engine like IBM Cloud Functions from zero to GA. And that was just awesome. I mean, it was super exhausting. We have been working like hell and sometimes we have been called a zombie team because we started in the morning and still have been working late in the night. But there was this team spirit because of this project being so awesome. And even so, it was exhausting. It was great. And still at IBM, I then moved. Yes, I changed. I moved from a more technical software leadership role to a more commercial or business or customer-facing role. And again, out of curiosity, because after having been in this technical role for many years, I wanted to gain a deeper understanding of market and competition and intensify my work with customers and act more as a technology evangelist, not coding all day long. So moving to an offering management role allowed me to do exactly this. And looking back, honestly, this was one of the best career decisions I've ever made because I learned so much about how to deal with customers, how to solve their problems by not looking at things from a technical point of view only, but from a product market and business case perspective and by really understanding the domain, their pain points, the demand. And today, that helps me a lot when trying to foster a client-centric mentality in my organization to make sure that whatever we do, we do for our customers. And then... To join Bosch Corporate Research in, in 2019, that was just a wonderful extension and experience on top of what I learned before, because this gave me the chance to learn about entirely new topics where I haven't been an expert in, like wired and wireless communication technologies like 5G and so forth. And now, yeah, having moved back to Bosch IO, this brought me kind of back home, so to speak. So back into a pure software unit that drives forward topics that are really close to my heart. But now with having taken over a C-level position, I'm given yet another chance to learn different things, not so much technical things, but rather things that have to do with successfully running such an organization and its employees and, and everything that it requires. So what were the key insights you asked? I think general one insight is that every change has something good. And as it is an opportunity to learn and grow, and even so it may also bring some uncertainty I would recommend to everybody out there, don't be a coward. <laughs> Leave your comfort zone and change whenever it is time to do so. And another insight is that understanding technology is a good basis to build upon, but never sufficient to be really successful. And I see that at Bosch very, very often. We are a very tech-driven company because you need to understand market, competition, and you need to understand it to be able to work with and design solutions for customers that really work. And even if you have a good understanding of technology, market, and competition, the problem is whatever you learn today may already be outdated tomorrow, as this is just a quickly moving world. So the key is actually that you have to learn how to learn. And maybe another insight that sticks out is that if you do, I think it's key to first assess the business potential of what you are doing before designing a technical solution. I see so many people doing it vice versa. So we first invent the hammer and then we look for the nail. I don't think this is the right way to doing it. And then maybe a very German problem, when designing and developing the technical solution, I recommend to not strive for a 200% solution upfront. I recommend start simple and iteratively adapt by mirroring each step you go 
with your customers. And last but not least, I mean, when now being in a leadership role, when leading teams never forget that culture eats strategy for breakfast. This is a saying many know, and it's so true. So always provide your team with a purpose, provide them with the environment they want, giving them psychological safety, set clear values habits, and really rely on such principles like human or positive leadership, act as a servant leader, give empowerment and trust. All these things, they really matter and are really important to run an organization the right way. And maybe my last key learning is you can even survive in Bosch without wearing a suit and wearing a hoodie all day long, even if you act on top management levels, you can survive. I love that last one particularly, but all really good advice there. It's interesting because if you think of technology, I've always considered it to be the catalyst for change, right? It's an opportunity to create change based on technical functionality or capability. But that doesn't take that catalyst doesn't equal change. It requires a process you need to work it through. And, you know, a background in sales, a background in understanding customer solutions, a background in law, right? In terms of, again, the societal rules that go around that are all required to effectively turn this spark or catalyst of technology into a solution that can be run at scale. And so it's interesting when it comes to the role of chief digital officer, particularly. Early on, we saw the technology catalyst. I'll call it the CTOs who decided that CDO sounded like a great title and took those on. And as time has gone forward and thinking more about digital industry, we now see those who are truly change agents and see uh, grounding in technology is absolutely critical. But the ability to take that technology and create sustainable and, to your point, resilient change is an important attribute to have. And so I think a lot of what you talked about shows that balance, if you will, of technology and I'll call it impact, right? Catalyst and impact. So kudos. It sounds like you've learned a lot in a short time. Speaking of short time, I've noted how quickly you've risen to become managing director, co-CEO and CTO of Bosch, a nice long title. Can you tell us a bit about this division and particularly your remit in leading it? Yeah, sure. So what's Bosch IO? So Bosch IO is one of, I would say, the software units of the Bosch Group. Um, that sense an essential puzzle piece, part of Bosch's entire digital transformation journey. And then we are about 800 people distributed across the globe who bring together the expertise of engineers, developers, product specialists, and, and digital transformation experts. So we have a broad range of people with different expertise. And we do both. That's important now. We do both. We do project as well as product development business, which means we offer our customers IT consultation services and help them with successfully conducting their products or projects by co-developing with them. But we also have products and solutions that we develop, that we maintain, and that we operate in the interest of our customers. And actually, both goes hand in hand. I mean, if you want to have the right products for your customers, you need to have the proper input, right? And these project teams that do consultation or that co-develop with our customers, they provide the underlying development teams exactly with this steering so that we can really develop products and form a portfolio that matches our customers' needs. And so if you look at the products that we have, they fall into fields like e-commerce, user management, and IoT, of course. So. With respect to the latter, what we offer is really a full-blown IoT stack that is heavily based on open source, by the way, 
and can run on totally different platforms, so pretty vendor agnostic. And it allows to connect devices to the internet to analyze data they transmit or to continuously manage and update their elements and stuff like that. So what we currently, especially with respect to our consulting and project delivery business, what we currently see is a great demand for the competencies, these different competencies we have and for what we offer. And just to brag a bit, already in January this year, most of our employees were already booked for the rest of the year. I mean, this is a situation that could definitely be worse, but it shows how important the broad range of competencies that we have really are. So to your second question, my area of responsibility and a little bit about what drives me every single day and what I do to drive this organization to success, I think it's two, three, four main fields where my tasks fall into. I think first is strategy. One of the most important tasks currently lying on my plate is to shape together as a very strong team, of course, a clear vision and a technology vision and to define a clear technology roadmap describing what we do want to offer and what we do not want to offer. Because we are still a very young company. I mean, not sure if you know that, but we have been founded in 2020, so we are not that old. And so we are still about to shape this coherent portfolio of things, allowing us to satisfy our customers' needs. But based on that input that I've been spoken about, that comes from the consulting and the project delivery units. And what is really, really key for us is to be in that constant exchange with our customers and partners to develop the right things, simply to really understand their pains and demands and to create trustful relationships. Because you know what? Business decisions are mainly made between people and some people underestimate it. And they are often about relationships and not necessarily about technical functions. So if you have a trustful relationship to a customer and if you build it up over time, that can make a huge difference. So that's about strategy. I think another set of tasks falls more in the field of efficiency. This includes, I mean, this is the painful task, to be honest, for me, but I need to do it just so the others can focus on their tasks. But this includes removing obstacles, removing impediments for my people. Sometimes I can do remove these easier on my level than they could do on theirs. And so I have to do that. That's one task that falls into the efficiency space. And since we need to move quickly, we are an IT company, that's super, super important. And increasing efficiency also requires change a lot. I mean, we have been spoken about change. For example, the change, we collaborate and make decisions. This is currently a huge topic in our organization. Just one example. I mean, if you have a leadership team of 25 people and everybody wants to be involved in everything, it's hard to move quickly, but we need to. So we are currently experimenting with a lot of things, splitting the leadership team into smaller speedboat teams so that tasks can be prepared in parallel before being decided on them in the product group again. And then to scale even more, we try to intensify using the power of the rest of the organization by including more of our talents and experts. So these are the things that we try to do to become more efficient. And we have some additional things going on that we let run under the slogan, stop stupid stuff. So we really call it like that, where we review meetings, processes, and so forth, and really assess carefully if they really bring value. And the last thing that drives me currently a lot is people and culture. So honestly, resolving conflicts really eats up a lot of my time. That's just a bitter truth. <laughs> and sometimes it feels a little bit like being in kindergarten, wondering if all the people around are really adults, but it doesn't help. You have to take all these issues, all these problems serious. And I think in this context, it's key to foster the right culture, which we to some extent have defined, formally defined in our, what we call the IO spirit. And uh, personally, 
I truly believe in the things that I mentioned before, that it's crucial to set clear values and habits because only then you can provide people with the already mentioned psychological safety and provide them with an atmosphere where they really want to work in. And that then allows them to really work with passion, with motivation, which then results in high performance. We've, of course, featured two of your colleagues from Bosch, as I said earlier in this podcast, Tanya Ruckert, who is your new chief digital officer, and Dirk Slama, who leads the AIoT user group, which Momenta is proud to call itself part of. Each of those described Bosch as being in the middle of one of the largest transformation in the company's history. So while your particular division was founded in 2020, I, if I do my math correctly, a company is about 136 years old. So making this transition from a traditional hardware manufacturer, electrical, one might say, to a leading AIoT, i.e. AI plus IoT company, how does your work support this broader transformation that's taking place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as I said before, I think my entire organization is really at the centerpiece of this transformation because we have exactly those people with exactly the right competencies being required to successfully master this transformation. And what is really cool is due to being, and we are even seen like that from the outside world, due to being one of the most innovative units within the Bosch Group, we are still able to attract new talents, even in a very competitive market with a lot of fighting for the best talents. So sometimes, to explain that a little bit metaphoric maybe, I also see my unit as a smaller soccer club where we get the young talents and we educate them and we train them and we make them understand the rest of the big Bosch. And then we transfer them to other units, other soccer clubs, part of Bosch. So we are like the education unit because we are, to the outer world, maybe one of the most sexy units. And we are able to attract these new talents. And so we try to fetch them from the market and then well, transfer them also from time to time to the rest. And so we help the rest of the organization also to master the transformation. That's about talents. But this broad set of competencies also allows us to perfectly address our customers' needs. And it's really no matter if it's about consulting or con jointly conducting projects or about developing products they need. This is really what we can do to perfectly help all the customers that we have. And the key thing here is that this set of competence allows us to act really vendor and technology agnostic and really that we really can deliver solutions on different platforms. It can be our own platform if it makes sense. It's our own products, but it can also be something that we build on top of platforms like AWS or Azure. That's totally fine. In the end, it's all about making our customers happy and less about selling a specific technology as if we would sell vacuum cleaners. And that's very, very important. That's what I meant before when I also was touching on this. It's so important to have a good, trustful relationship with your customer. You can only have that if the customer really has this feeling of, okay, I can go to these guys and they will provide me with a very honest assessment. What is the best approach to tackle my problem? They will do this consulting. They might do a joint project with us. They have also products and they may make use of them in this project, but if it doesn't fit, they will let me know and build something jointly with me on top of AWS or Azure, for example. And I think the biggest strength is that we, due to this broad range of competencies, can help our customers quite holistically, meaning we can do more 
than just providing technology consulting or stuff like that. We can help them with all steps being relevant as part of going through a digital transformation. For example, with assessing business models or defining a thought through go-to-market approach. We just recently launched what we call go-to-market as a service. So it's not about products only. It's not about the pure technology side of things. We really are a partner for the rest of the Bosch units that can help to tackle this transformation in a very holistic manner. There's a term that probably goes back to GE Digital in the day, talking about software-defined business per se. And I subtitled this podcast, Software Defined Business, because this key enabling role that you're providing is really uh, powering a lot of that. Let me ask, what do you see as the largest challenges to moving Bosch and perhaps some of your other clients to be truly software-defined businesses or organizations? Okay, that's a tough one and a tough one for Bosch to solve. So the Bosch is a very, very tech-savvy company. There's a lot of super valuable domain knowledge that, that falls into a broad range of different domains. But in my opinion, the key to success is to turn all that knowledge into new digital business solutions. In this sense, many challenges laying in front of us are more business than tech problems. So in the first step, it's all about understanding the value of data and coming up with ideas to monetize. So for example, if you have driving information that reveal road conditions, you could easily sell this information by offering a road signature service. And then you can access that service running in the cloud via some API whatsoever. But to do so, you first have to detect this potential before you can turn it into a technical solution. And many, many people currently part of Bosch, they've grown up in a different world where IT has not been playing this role. They are not automatically thinking like this. Like, oh, here I have data. We can sell this data the digital way by making this a service, by exposing an API, by monetizing this, following a freemium, premium, whatsoever model. They are not so digital native that they think like this. They are more like, okay, this is the tool that I have. And now I need help that somebody explains me what else we could put on top of that tool, maybe a digital service to provide additional value, which is when what I mentioned before, is coming into play, we do this consultation in a holistic way. So we even help them to detect this potential and then go the full path from having detected potential to turning things into a technical solution. So that's the one problem. You have to get this feeling of where actually can I sell something digital and stuff like that. Apart from that, there, there's, there's also still room for improvement when it comes to the art of software development itself. So let me give you some examples to better understand that there is still potential when it comes to providing developers with the right equipment and tooling. We are getting better and better, but I don't think I would compare what I currently see at Bosch one-to-one -to, -one to what I've seen at IBM, for example. There is still room to improve. There is still potential when it comes to developing according to the latest and greatest software development principles. And even though some business units have for sure made more progress than others, there is room to improve. And maybe the biggest challenge in this context, there is still potential to get rid of what I usually call hindering processes, not fitting to a modern software development company and being kind of relics of former times. And the task is to redefine such processes to allow for a more efficient software development. 
the good news is that all these things are currently being tackled. So for instance, we have founded, and maybe you have heard of that, but Shreya Tanya mentioned that, we have founded a grassroots initiative called the Developer Advocate Network, which brings together software people across the entire Bosch group to jointly work on resolving these problems. And the last thing that I would say is a big problem is more related to culture and maybe the historical heritage that we have. So given Bosch's history, some software developers still feel not valued the same way compared to people part of other engineering disciplines. Others struggle with hierarchies that lower your speed. Some miss a proper HR mindset and a proper failure culture. Others have the feeling that they are not allowed to work according to the more modern principles like pair programming. Others have the feeling their managers do not understand why they need to invest so much in things like automation and test coverage. And some feel like not being offered proper career paths when being a software engineer. But again, and that's the good part of the message, the important part of the message here, all these things have been realized and all these things are currently being addressed. And the already mentioned developer advocate network that represents the interests of all of our software developers across Bosch is, for example, currently together with uh, other stakeholders like HR, defining new career paths and options that you can pursue and new talent selection processes to really make things way better. So there are a couple of challenges falling into totally different areas, equipment, culture, and the ability to really see potential for digital business. And we have realized that and we have yeah, created initiatives to really quickly tackle the problems we have and yeah, lead the organization to success. Excellent. Perhaps two quick questions, because I'm fascinated by the role that you play relative to these digital industry applications. One is really a perspective of cloud and edge, given all of the interest in edge. And Bosch arguably is, you know, the roots are in edge, right? And secondarily, because you mentioned it earlier, a perspective on the use of open source, because when I think of, let's say, mission critical applications, there seems to be differing schools of thought about the role of open source and frankly, the role of cloud in those as well. So I'd like to briefly put you on the spot for those. Okay, so let me come on cloud and edge computing first. And I think there is no doubt that they have become the key technologies to drive digital industry applications. I mean, cloud computing, as we all know, democratized the access to compute power and it allows everybody to start small, scale out later, reduce initial investment costs, all these things. I think what is really the key driver here is this unbelievable growth of cloud service ecosystems, which now provides you not only compute and storage, this was the boring beginning, but now providing uh, access to AI, machine learning, blockchain, quantum computing, and whatsoever service. And it allows for a quicker development of sophisticated solutions than ever before, just because you can build on so many things already out there. And the global availability of data centers, I mean, data centers are being created every single day out there, even allow you to roll out your solutions worldwide in a very easy way. Just also as a, maybe a word of warning, I mean, it's all great, but also to make people aware, there are also some things to take care of. I mean, the biggest players are still US companies, AWS, Microsoft, Google. And yeah, this gives some people outside the US and especially in Europe, maybe even more in Germany, some heading. Which is also the reason why initiatives like Gaia-X have been started, because Europe tries to have an answer to this. But it's not only com uh, the governments, it's also the, the companies um, that meanwhile understand the potential risks a bit better. 
And most of these risks center around lock-in risks and the risk of unwanted access to business-critical and sensitive data. And that's why we see these trends, right? That's why we see these trends towards private, hybrid cloud deployments rather than just using public ones. And we see many companies going for a multi-cloud approach, which in my opinion needs to be thought through very well, because even so this can mitigate some of these risks, it also can, well, drive complexity and cost quite quickly, even though there's some tooling meanwhile. And even so cloud computing is used more intensively, we currently also see the edge computing again being a rising star. It's simply because we see this kind of data explosion caused by more and more connected devices that sometimes limit the applicability of the cloud technologies due to the transfer costs or due to the need of super low latencies or whatsoever. So sometimes you also want to process your data at the edge due to data projection reasons, meaning you want to avoid your valuable data leaving your own house, so to say. And sometimes you need to process data where you do not have enough internet, and then you need edge computing as well. So both go hand in hand, and we currently see on the cloud side of things, this explosion of services allowing you to quickly develop new solutions, coming with this price that you have to pay of the risks that I've mentioned, locked in and unwanted inspection of data. So you have to be a little bit careful, but there are mitigation options you can look at. And we see at the same time that the edge is becoming more important as well. Open source. Well, I think it's no secret, <laughs> I already mentioned that. I'm a big fan of open source. And actually not only open source, but even inner source, which is about applying the idea of open source within companies. And I became a fan of open source, not just yesterday, but years ago. So as already mentioned at the beginning, when I still was at IBM, we developed one of the first open source serverless compute engines on the market, Apache OpenRISC, which later became the integral part of IBM's serverless compute offering. And the advantages of open source, in my opinion, they are still the same than they have been that time I've been driving Apache OpenRISC. You have more manpower and hence more momentum that you can bring behind the entire project. It usually leads to higher quality because more people looking at the code, reviewing the code you're writing. You mitigate lock-in risks as the source code is freely available. So looking at what I said in the context of cloud computing, open source can also be one vehicle to mitigate that risk a little bit. And it can mitigate lock-in risk because there's more than just one contributor, which also guarantees business continuity. I mean, if you rely on just one vendor, what if this vendor vanishes? But if there are 10 people behind, then it's pretty cool. And for exactly these reasons, we, by the way, developed most parts of the Bosch IoT suite, one of the most important products that we have, also as open source to a huge extent. And we are a proud member of the, of the Eclipse community. Yeah, but even so, I'm a big fan of open source. I strongly recommend to develop something open source only if there are good reasons, not just because it's cool. And the reasons can be the ones that I've mentioned, right? You need to find a way to put more manpower behind and people are asking you, how do you mitigate or your customers are asking you, how do you want to mitigate lock-in risk or guarantee business continuity? And then the answer can be open source. But think this through because... The reason I'm saying this is that you have to significantly invest to come to a working open source strategy. It's more than just pushing code to a repository. It's about partner and stakeholder management to create what I call a vibrant community. And this is work. And by the way, inner source is even more difficult because there you have to fight against this typical inner company, intra-company 
not invented here syndrome, if you know what I mean, and probably motivate people to be willing to contribute in Rio. So there it gets even more complicated. Andreas, this has been a really insightful discussion. I appreciated the deep dives there at the end on Cloud and Edge and really this idea of open source and inner source. So thank you for sharing this time and insights with us today. You're very much welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you and thanks a lot for the invitation again. Oh, yes, absolutely. The pleasure, believe me, is mutual. So this has been Dr. Andreas Nares, Managing Director, Co-CEO and CTO of Bosch.io a global interdisciplinary expert organization driving Bosch's AIoT strategy. I might also add he is Bosch's, of course, resident hoodie now. So we're proud to have one of the change makers there in the C-suite of uh, suits. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archive versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.